Good morning. How's everyone doing out there? Thank you. I uh, just wanted to welcome everyone to Renew Church this morning. We are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And uh, we are continuing in our series on the Beatitudes of Jesus, hashtag blessed. And as Magdiel read, we are on verse 7, focusing in on blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, and being merciful is another example of the upside king down kingdom value that Jesus is talking about in his Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount at, uh, as a whole. Mercy is extending to people to whom it would normally be difficult for us to extend compassion, forgiveness, or leniency. Or it can mean giving compassion, forgiveness, and leniency to those who don't deserve it, who are not worthy, or to those who deserve punishment. Um, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, your heart of mercy for us and the ways that you have extended forgiveness and leniency to us when we haven't deserved it the times that you've comforted us, shown us compassion and love, even though we are not worthy, even though we, we've been so far from you, um, that you've demonstrated mercy um, in such infinite ways that um, we can't help but be changed in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we hunger and thirst, we are people who live in desperate longing. We're hungry and longing. We become self-aware of our own profound connection to our need to be filled in life. To hunger and thirst after righteousness encompasses both vertical and horizontal relational dynamics. We long after right relationship, the vertical with God, as well as right relationship with our neighbors. Vertically, we become people who yearn after God's rule in our lives. As we lay ourselves down for the ways and will of God, the Holy Spirit does a work in us to become people that reflect more of Christ's value, Christ's rule in the world. From a horizontal perspective, we are compelled to lay ourselves down for the flourishing of other humans and become right with other people. In the kingdom of heaven, right living and right character reveal trust in Jesus and the sparks of transforming communities and the renewal of all things. God is about renewing, amen? And God is the one who fills God is in the filling business. God is the one who cooks the meal, as I said last week, and sets the family table. God provides the abundant, delicious meal. And I bring greetings to you from Chicago. Uh, Magdiel, Uriel, and myself were in Chicago for um, the Evangelical Covenant uh, churches, our denominations, midwinter pastoral pastors meeting, uh, conference, I should say. And uh, it was funny. It was a really good time. Um, I was on a red light, red, red light, not red light, red eye flight 
to Chicago and, um, and then had a workshop I had to be in, an intensive day-long workshop for eight hours right, as, right after I got off the flight. And so needless to say, I was tired. And I felt like I, physically I was catching up the whole week. And I felt like that this whole week that I'm trying to chase the hours in my day, the hours in my week to get stuff done. And so forgive me if I seem a bit frazzled, but um, God is gracious and God is merciful and I'm here. But it was really fun, um, especially for me to see um, Uriel Magdio um, interact with other Hispanic, Spanish-speaking pastors um, in our country, um, in our denomination, because you just saw the light in their face. Like when I talk to them, sometimes they're like, yes, Pastor Dan. <laughs> or Udi, he doesn't say anything at all in our room. You know? But all of a sudden, when they're speaking his Pastor Dave, <laughs> right? Like, what are they laughing at me about? <laughs> I don't understand. No entiendo. But all of a sudden, this vibrancy and this humor and this life and this energy and they speak so quickly, right? And it just is a testimony to, you know, when they preach up here, when they talk and speak, like, what if I was in Mexico preaching? Or what if I was reading scripture? I would be lost, you know? And so the things that they do are so amazing. And there's so much more that I don't know about them um, that they reveal in their native mother tongue. And so that's one amazing thing. The other thing is how ridiculous our staff team is to other people. You know, so when people, you know, you are at a pastor's conference, sometimes I grow tired of like, the same old, same old questions. Hi, where are you from? Oh, what church are you at? Oh, what's your role? Same three questions in a row. That's how you meet people. Um, so, I, you know, sometimes I'm like, I should just ask random questions like, what's your favorite flower? Go. But so we ask these questions and you can see in people's eyes when they question our group, the three of us, when we're standing there, like things are don't kind of make sense. And they kind of ask more and more like, oh, where are you guys from? Oh, Renew Church. They ask Magdio, Renew Church. They ask Udio, Renew Church. Oh, do you guys have a Hispanic church or a Spanish speaking church there? No, we're a multi-ethnic church. Oh, who's your lead pastor? Oh, Dave is, right? And they're, they're like, what, what? You don't do a Korean church or an Asian church? What's going on here? Like, no, it's a multi-ethnic church in English, but we're all on staff. And uh, one woman, uh, Magdiel and I were talking to her with her because we're right next to her at the table at a dinner time. And I think I even told her, yeah, I'm the founder and the lead pastor of Renew. And then later the next day, she walks up on us and goes to Udiel and said, oh, you're the lead pastor, right? You must be a really strong person because you have to get these two guys bridled, right? They're like, keep a handle on these two guys. They're so strong. And I'm like, I just told you I was the lead pastor. But we didn't correct her because we like these things. We like these dynamics because what it says is that it's not normative and that the way that we should act should be about subverting the, the normative 
authority structures, even the leadership structures in our churches across the country, the expectation is the lead pastor or whoever is in the lead is a white male, older. And so when we say this is who we are, people don't get it. And so they question more. Oh, surely you should be a pastor of an Asian American church, right? Or surely you're the pa- you're Korean, you're the pastor of a Korean church. And surely because we have two brothers from Tijuana, Mexico, that they should be doing a Hispanic outreach or a, you know, a Spanish-speaking congregation, right? Right? No! We're actually the staff of a multi-ethnic church. And I love subverting that. I love subverting the patriarchy, right? And turning it over. And we don't correct people. We just let that lady like talk to Udiel like he was a lead pastor, right? <laughs> And when I introduce myself, we like playing those games. When I introduce myself, I'm saying, hey, I'm Dave, right? I'm Dave. I don't say I'm Pastor Dave, the founder and planter of Renewed Church, a mega church in Seattle, right? I don't say that. I don't introduce myself like that. I'm, like, I'm, I'm with these guys, right? <laughs> and you can tell by how people respond. It's like, right? oh, Dave, he's over there, right? Um, so we like to subvert, we like to play these games. And I think that this is what Jesus is doing with his Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Beatitudes aren't just ideals. They're ideals out there. It'd be great to live that way, but no one, it's impossible. No one actually lives that way, right? Because that wouldn't work in the world. It doesn't work in business, it doesn't work in politics, it doesn't work in the academics, it doesn't work even in the church. No one lives that way and is blessed, right? To be blessed, you actually, it seems like in our world today, need to live opposite of what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the strong, blessed are the independent, blessed are the full and not hungry and not needy. Blessed are those who don't cry and don't show their emotions, right? And blessed are the cutthroat and not merciful and who get theirs because no one else is going to look after you. And it seems like to get by in this world, you got to live opposite of what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is actually talking about practical ways of living, the ways that we should embody the characters we should embody as a community of faith. We need to live like this to live blessed lives. Amen, church? And it's hard. I know it. It's hard. But God is saying, I will be with you, right? There's a blessing attached to living in this way. If you're poor, I will be there, right? You will inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you will be filled. I am there. I will meet you. I am present. I am about filling. I will provide. And in my kingdom, there's an abundance of resources. I've got your back. I'll lift you up. I'll never let you down. And now we come to mercy. Blessed are the merciful, verse 7 of chapter 5 in Matthew. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I, I have a story to go with this. Um, we have a dog in our house. She's half Maltese, half Yorkie. So people call that a Morky. Maltese, Yorkie, Morky. And she's about eight pounds. Uh, small dog, yappy dog. As she's getting older, I guess she's less yappy. Um, and, and she's also getting deaf, so she doesn't hear it anymore when people knock on the door, you know, when the UPS guy knocks on the door. So she doesn't bark as much, which is really good. It's a grace for me because sounds really bother me. And, uh, um, but when Edie begs, it really irritates me. I don't know why. Well, I know why. Uh, we'll get into that. But one of my pet peeves, no pun intended, is when our dog, <laughs> Edie, sniffs around me. I'm eating, I've got my meal at the table, I've turned on the TV, and I'm eating, and she's around me, sniffing at my food, and looking, pitif looking up at me pitifully with her eyes, her begging eyes. And if she starts whimpering, I really get annoyed. And I'll push her away with my foot uh, with a sharp command, barking at her like, get away, Edie. And mind you, we have household rules, like we have the rule of not feeding Edie people food. Is my annoyance at Edie and even anger about enforcing the rule of no people food, is my pet peeve and my anger and frustration when I see her begging pitifully and whimpering, is that because she's breaking the household rule of not begging for food or not you know, is that about enforcing the rule or is it a strange reaction to her, what I kind of project on her as neediness, vulnerability, and dependence, which somehow taps into my own fears of weakness and dependence. Like here is a weak, vulnerable creature and I don't like to be weak and vulnerable. So when I see that in her, it annoys me and I want to push her away. The same thing kind of happens when my kids fall, run and fall. Cammy scrapes her uh, knee and starts crying. That first cry should elicit like, oh, and like, I want to comfort her. But I get angry when my kids get hurt. Like, what is that? This is so weird. And sometimes my reaction is like, why did you fall? That's not rational at all. But it's that that vulnerability, that vulnerability elicits anger or elicits self-protection, um, it taps into that in me, my own fears. And when I think about, reflect about Edie, Edie is completely dependent on us to feed her, to shelter her, to take her out to go potty, to even give her love. And my, you know, when I ponder this, the existential question I always ponder is, but what does Edie give me? <laughs> right? Nothing. Edie gives me absolutely nothing. Only need and begging. She doesn't warm me up on a cold day. She doesn't make me laugh. She doesn't give me words of affirmation, which is my love language. She doesn't serve me. She doesn't get me a drink. She doesn't give me gifts. Maybe I could say 
she makes Janice happy and joyful because Janice seems to love her. Right? And if Edie, um, if Edie died, Janice would be really sad, be extremely sad. So, yes, Edie gives, has value by virtue of marriage, right? She's connected me through marriage, right? And as I ask my question, I ponder and daydream if some thief, I'm walking Edie outside, just happened to grab Edie in the street and kidnapped her, would I chase the kidnapper down? I don't know. Probably not. Probably would be a good excuse like, oh, he was dangerous. I didn't want to chase her down. Poor Edie is gone forever. Inside to be like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but the fact that Edie whines as needy and begs for food and that this annoys me, does this reflect on Edie's heart or on my own heart? If I can't show mercy or pity or compassion, what does this say of my heart? That it's hardened, that it's uncomfortable for me myself to be needy, to be vulnerable and dependent. And if I don't hunger and thirst and I'm less aware of my own depravity and need, um, it doesn't allow me to be filled with the blessings of God. Like if I'm scared of my own vulnerability or scared of my own emptiness or scared of my own need, neediness because of the ways that I've aligned myself or made myself loyalty, loyal to the values of the world and the values of success or independence, um, then how can I be filled by God? And this is what the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount push in us, right? It pushes, if you think you're filled, then you'll never be filled by God, right? It's only the poor that inherit. It's only the empty that are filled. It's only those that mourn that are comforted because God is the filler. God is the giver. God is the one who has our inheritance. And God's, it is in God's godness to want to love us. It is in God's godness to want to provide. It is in God's godness to ultimately want to save his people. And if we're people who are lean towards not wanting or needing to be saved, then God doesn't have anything to do with us, right? And so when we come to our beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, I think it fits into this. We can't be shown mercy unless we are people who are merciful. And I think the flip side is true, right? Unless we are shown mercy, wait, unless we're shown mercy, mercy, we can't express mercifulness. Are you with me, church? So I think this beatitude is not, and all the beatitudes is not an equation per se. If you do this, if you do this, this, if you do this, you will get this, right? You, you show mercy, you'll get mercy, 
you show mercy, you get mercy. Uh, but it's a relational reality. If you are one who practices mercy, your heart becomes open and receptive and prepared to itself, itself to receive the mercy of God. Right? Just like I can't show Edie mercy or compassion unless my heart is softened and vulnerable. Those who have known mercy know what it means to be filled in their emptiness. Those who know mercy have walked through the desert in thirst. They have climbed the mountain famished and hungry. And it's also not a, like an like a order thing, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That being merciful, the act of us being merciful um, is before being shown mercy. I think it, I think it's more like uh, more like water flows both ways between two chambers through a membrane in the middle. It goes both ways, and it's not an order. For instance, if you receive God's mercy, you will become more a person who can't help but extend mercy because you're being transformed by that mercy through the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? So if you remember. Jesus heals, uh, Jesus forgives the woman with the alabaster jar who washes his feet. Everyone's ripping on her because she's a woman who lives in sin. How dare you let someone into this room and touch you who's as sinful and unclean as her. And he says, after he sends her away and says, go and sin no more, he says, she who has been uh, she who loves much is forgiven much, and she who is forgiven much loves much. And so we see that same two-way through the membrane in the two chambers, like it's reciprocal. If you're loved a lot, if you love a lot, you're able to forgive a lot. If you've been forgiven a lot, you're able to love a lot because it's about the, it's not an equation. It's about the, the state of your heart, Right? If we're vulnerable and open um, to pain, to suffering, to our own lack, that act, that opening of our hearts actually makes it makes us able to have compassion, right, and mercy to our neighbor, right? Because when we harden our hearts, it's not hardening our hearts to protect us one way; it's also hardening our hearts to keep us from extending outward. Are you with me, church? And so that's the two-way that I'm talking about. You, re you, you mercy give, then you mercy receive. Why did I write it like that? <laughs> and you mercy receive, then you mercy give. That's what we're trying to say here, church. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not an equation and it's not an order. And this is why Jesus says later in Matthew 9, do you remember the story? Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he says, come to my... Zacchaeus invites Jesus, come to my house and eat. And Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house and the Pharisees and the scribes are like, oh my gosh, he's hanging out with sinners, right? 
oh my gosh, what's up with that? And Jesus says, I hope my reference is right here. Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call this righteous, but to sinners. Right? As people of God, as followers of the way, we need to know that God just doesn't want rule followers. Or God doesn't want like martyrs or like, look at my sacrifice for the sake of this church. For the sake of God, I've laid my years down. I've laid money down. I've laid my sacrifice, my blood and toil down for the church, right? I am God's servant, right? And it, we become like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, right? Because of this duty-boundedness, after years of that, we wake up and we realize, oh my gosh, I'm bitter, right? I have served you all my life, God, and I have nothing, right? And we get bitter, and our heart becomes small and hard and cold. And this is what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders is your hearts are small. You need to know that God doesn't care about your duty and your sacrifices and your rituals and your traditions and your fastings and all of the like things that you put on your services for me. If you don't know how to love, you don't know how to treat people well, right? If you come across someone who it's hard for you to show mercy, like it's hard for me to show Edie compassion and mercy because when other people are looking at her pitiful eyes and they're like, oh, it's so cute. I'm like, Arr! like it's annoying. And where there's people who it's hard for us to love or or show mercy. We need to extend mercy. Or someone who has treated us unjustly. Or who's done something really bad and wrong. And we know it. They know it. Everyone knows it. And they deserve punishment. They deserve judgment. They deserve you know, the penalty of the full extent of the law. Or whatever they deserve because they did this thing. And we want to punish them. We don't want to show mercy. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to extend grace. We want to see them pay for it. I feel that way. I feel that way about certain people. Like, they need to pay. But then you remember, God has shown mercy to me. I deserve to be punished to the full extent of my sin. Or I'm not worthy. There's nothing I can offer God. I haven't, you know, I don't give him anything. Right? I don't fulfill his love language. <laughs> Some punk young pastor that's always rebelling and doing his own thing, stubborn, like like trying to get his own glory all the time, like forgetting, only crying out to God when I'm like desperate for something. Like, he's like, what? And yet God 
loves, loves us. God invests in us. God forgives us. God shows mercy on us. And uh, this week, um, actually, Pastor Michael Guerrero, who used to be the pastor at Shoreline Covenant just to the south of us, he had one of the longest tenures, like I think 39 years in one church. Like everyone was like, what? That never happens. Like 39 years maybe as a pastor, but one church, 39 years? And he's retired now, and he gave, he gave a talk on loving others. Um, which Udi misinterpreted totally, but that's another story. <laughs> but he was talking about uh, what's it easier to do for a harsh person, you know, to pray to God, Holy Spirit, help me to be a more gentle person. Right? Help me to be a more gentle person. Or is it better to, for that person to say, Holy Spirit, God, help me to treat people more gently? Okay. Because we always talk about, oh, I want to be a more loving person. I want to be a more loving person. I want to be a more loving person. And right, right, that's like internal identity change. But sometimes it's just ideal, like, well, he didn't make me a more loving person, right? And that's a journey. But actually, what does it mean? Actually, when God says, love your neighbor, what, to frame it differently and say, how do you treat other people? Go and treat others well. And so for the harsh person, instead of waiting like, make me a more gentle, compassionate person, it's helped me to treat people more gently and more compassionately. You get it? It's like loving means how we treat people. Like actually on the ground, like practically love people. So when we see, uh, apply this to Beatitudes, it's like, what does it look like to love people by being merciful to them? Or another question is, who are the people in your lives? Or what category of people? Or what group of people? Or what background of people? Or what race of people? Or what, you know, social economic place of people? Is it hard for me to be merciful to? Ouch! And I want each one of you to come up here and give testimony <laughs> and confess who those people are. That would be hard, right? Oh, like who is it hard for me to extend merciful to me, mercy? I know for me personally, if a, a certain person does the same thing over and over again, and they talk to me, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Oh, the first time it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's make a change, let's pray for you, oh, seek counseling or do this and that. They do it again. They do it again, and they want to talk to me about it. They do it again. They want to talk to me about it. They do it again. That's really difficult for me to have mercy and compassion because I like motion. 
right? It's like, you ain't moving? Get out of here. You think I have time for like this endless cycle of spiral of the same thing over and 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 over again? No. Let's move. Come on. That's just my personality. This is the train. Get on the train. Right? Transformation. I'm not like a, a stare. You know, like, I'm going to stay with you and hold your hand for years. Right? You got to move. <laughs> and that may be a gift or a weakness. Who knows? It's just how I'm built. But what it would it look like for me to extend the mercy as God extends? To see a person as God sees that person. Like, 70 times 7. I do extend grace, extend grace, extend grace, extend grace, extend grace. This is the challenge. Who in my eyes doesn't deserve mercy, but I give mercy. Who is it for you? Who is it for you? And then the flip side of that is where are the places in our own lives that we are not merciful to ourselves or we don't receive mercy, uh, receive mercy from God? Like where are the sin patterns or the things that are bad habits or think things we're constantly stumbling on where we say, God can, you know, God's no, doesn't, God doesn't want to deal with that or God you know, wants me to fix that before I can come again to him. I, I keep messing up. I hate myself for it. I don't accept this about myself. And it's just, ah, where we, where, we, where we just cannot show mercy or receive mercy ourselves. We don't feel worthy to approach the throne or the altar because of this the stigma, this kind of weakness that we have in us. What is that? In our heart because God desires to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness because he wants to change us from the inside out he does want to move us forward in life instead of being stuck in the same spiral we go to a church you guys are going to a church called renew amen it's like Renew means God is making things new. God is changing things. God is transforming things. And we believe that. If we don't believe that, why are we here? And just as I said, the preacher's moment, the sun is coming through the light. God wants to shine his light on you and change things from the inside out and make us new people. Amen? Because God is a God who feels. God is a God who shows mercy. God is a God who comforts. God is a God who transforms. Amen? Amen. That's why we're renewed. And that's why we're going to go out there and say, come, people. I want you to introduce you to a God who's changed my whole life, who wants to change your life. Or to extend a merciful hand to someone in need and pick them up and say, God loves you. God sees you. God is extending his mercy to you when they don't feel worthy to be like, let me tell you, I'm, why are you doing this? Why are you helping me? Because God 
has helped me. Amen? How do we treat other people? We treat other people like humans. Because God sees everyone as human, as his sons and daughters. And so we need to treat everyone with mercy and forgiveness as if they were our brothers and sisters, because they are. Amen? Be renewed. We are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhood. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the grace with which you've shown each of us as individuals. May we continue to live lives that hunger and thirst after your righteousness, uh, to be right with you and to be right with others. May we open our hearts to your grace in deeper and deeper ways. I know there are places in my life, in my own heart, where shame seems to be what rules over the land instead of your mercy and grace. And so will you shine your light of mercy in those dark places of shame in my own lives and in the lives of everyone here so that in bringing love into the places of shame and unworthiness, you will change our lives and change our hearts. And in doing so, we are more able to love and extend and show compassion uh, to people who are around us. In a broken and hurting world, we will be your light and your love. Amen. Amen.